1: Rob Doster here, I got Jeff Goodman with me. Hell no.
2: John Finkton. Are we still live? Feel the 68 till I die. Oh, I'm sorry, man, I've out. Randolph children. DJ Khaled, you know the big DJ Khaled guy? Hands up and in. Goodman needs to be fired all the time. Josh Pasker. You're gonna beat people, straight up. You know the deal. Drink responsibly tonight, I'll be drinking with you. Terrell McNeil.
1: From the bluest of the blue bloods to the smallest of the mid-majors.
2: This is Feel the 68.
1: After dark. Hello, and welcome to the Wednesday evening edition of the Field of Sixty Eight After Dark. There is nothing better than jumping on these live streams to do these shows. well I have to sweat out the end of a rivalry game between UConn and Providence. There is less than four minutes left into sixty-three to fifty-seven. The Huskies lead. We're going to get into all that. We're going to have a long conversation about uh, this win and about UConn and about whether or not they actually are the best team in college basketball. Um, we also have to talk about Purdue, and uh, I'm sorry, Kentucky, uh, who lost at home to McCall's Florida Gators, 94 to 91 in overtime. Nobody fouled up three. It was great. I loved it. I thought it was the right decision. I'm <laughs> going to tell you why. It's always the correct decision to not foul up three, and I'm probably going to get yelled at by Coach Matt McCall here. Could not disagree um, more. Could we, not disagree more. Before, well, we'll, we'll have that conversation here in a minute. Gotta By the end of it, you're gonna. By the end of it, you're gonna agree with me. Um, But but we got to start with Purdue. We got to start with their overtime win over Northwestern. We got to start with a 105 to 96, absolutely bonkers game. Boo Boo, he goes nuts again. Zach Eady goes nuts again. Lance Jones has 26 points. And Chris Collins, certified Duke guy, according to John Henson, uh, goes (laughs) ball. Listic at the end, had one of the best ejections I've ever seen in my entire life. I was giving him a standing ovation, guys. I was standing there saying, this is incredible feeder. Let's go. Rob, he was I firing have, up I have a the question. crowd. He walked on the court. He planned that, guys. He he made the decision at the end of the game. He was like, I'm going to get tossed, and this is going to be electric. Go ahead, John.
3: Have you ever seen a visiting coach get ejected and try to hype the crowd up? What does he think? I, I, I just... <laughs> I've never seen that. I've never seen that. Usually, when you get ejected and you're a visitor, you just like, why are you putting your head? It it, it almost was like, all right, this is my moment. I've seen this before on TV. Whoa, whoa, time out! You're not a Northwestern, so you don't you can't do that. It it it, it just I, I, you know, let's, we can move on. But that was confusing to me. Just call it that. It, no, it was, it was great, McCall. <laughs>
1: give me your best getting getting run out of a game story. Have you ever had anything like that? Have you ever started firing? Him no, the I have never.
2: I mean, I've I've punched a sign one time leaving the gym. I've done other things like that, just up, upset and frustrated with the refs. But I, look, at the end of the day, he earned that. The free throw margin was four, six to eight, and that's why he mm-hmm. was so frustrated it was 46 to 8 that end of the day you can talk about the two calls at the end of the game that went against them he was frustrated with that and he knew exactly what the free throw margin was in the game and that is that's just too large of a discrepancy and I, the craziest part of it was was he was he Mad at Matt Painter, was he trying to shake his hand? because he was pointing at him, and then he went over and shook his hand. And no, you know what it was, he, Matt. You know what it was. Have you guys ever like, seen? There was a lot to process there. There was a lot going on. There was a lot to process. What was that? What was
1: that Dave Chappelle movie where he worked at the? Uh, he worked at like a, a burger restaurant. Right, and the dude gets fired from the burger restaurant, and he grabs the microphone. It was—I like, can't remember the name of the movie, but he's like, "F F F U, you're cool. i U, I'm out." That's exactly what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like you, Oh, Matt Painter, yeah, you're cool, man. You're cool. We got you. <laughs> <He tapped laughs> up, gave Zach Edy a hug for sure, and then rolled out fired up the field. It was amazing. Um, he shook. He went to
3: the other players and he shook and he gave E.D. a hug like exactly what happened like that that that
2: discrepancy like that's absurd like when you look at that number of, of foul shots that Purdue shot and I get it the points in the paint and Zach Eady posting up and I get all that but that that, that isn't ins- that discrepancy is insane
3: that is insane but 46 to 8 I, I would push back to say Matt that the threat I was I was watching their strategy because there's Purdue struggles with them. So I was watching to see what Northwestern did. It's tough because all they were doing were just running Zach off Zach, whoever's garden, whoever Zach Edie's garden, they were running them off screens and they were getting wide open threes, floaters. So there was no need for them. There wasn't really a free throw discrepancy because they weren't attacking. Like that's how they were beating, beating them. Zach Edie stepping back. They had um, Barry and Bowie running off screens. So definitely, definitely, a discrepancy that shouldn't be there. But their strategy was to put Edie in pick and rolls and have him play soft and make shots, which almost worked again. I think part of it, too, is,
1: you know, when you're dealing with a guy that is seven foot four and 300 pounds, like he's inevitably going to back you down and find you in the post and get fouled. And I think that there's an argument, maybe not necessarily tonight, but overall, there's an argument where you can say that Zach Eadie probably doesn't get whistles on Uh, The majority of the plays where he actually is fouled, just because like when you're that size, you're probably going to get fouled more often than not. So do you where do you stand on that, Matt? Where do you stand on whether or not, like how how are officials calling this game when he's there? Is it fair? Is it right?
2: Yeah, I mean, he gets hit a lot. I mean, he's you know, and and when he's getting doubled and the double teams coming down there and, you know, here comes the two guys and they're banging on him. If it's a foul, call the foul. Um, but I do think just the discrepancy in the free throws, that's that's a huge – I, and I agree with John just in terms of, you know, what Northwestern's running, and they made 14 threes in the game. So, I mean, it, they were, you know, a play away from winning that. Uh, but if there's fouls and he's being fouled, then you have to call him. You know, you, you do. Uh, but I think the biggest decision that teams have to make just against them is, like, are you going to let this guy go for 30 and 17 – Or are you gonna do everything you can to get the ball out of his hands, which is difficult because he screens, he sets screens, he runs the floor hard, he plays hard. Like that's one of his biggest attributes as a player is just how hard he plays. So I think as an opposing coach, as you're trying to prepare for this guy, what are you gonna do? Are you you gonna double him on the catch? And make him have to throw it out and hope that they don't miss threes and that your rotations are good and that your closeouts are good because that's what's going to happen. When he throws it out of those double teams, you're going to be in rotations and you're going to be in closeouts. So you got to hope that they're missing some threes and your rotations are really good. I just, it's a double edged sword when you're preparing for a guy like that. And it's hard to even simulate in practice. You can't simulate a guy that size and how hard he plays in practice. You can't do it. So I think that's the other thing that the teams run into when trying to prepare for him.
1: Yeah, and I do just want to say before we get into a little bit of a conversation here about Northwestern because I think it deserves to they deserve to be discussed here. Um, Braden Smith, eleven points, sixteen assists, two turnovers tonight. Uh, the the fact that he is not on the Koozie Award watch list for the top ten point guards in college basketball when one of the guys that's actually on that list uh, found himself benched tonight is. Uh, a crime against humanity. Um, and I do think that this is the kind of performance where where Purdue usually loses this game and the fact that they were able to, to dig deep, find a way to win and, and make the plays that they needed to make late says a lot about them. Now, I, I have a hot take, okay? Uh, tell me if you guys think this is crazy. I think Northwestern is like the team in the Big Ten outside of Purdue and Wisconsin that actually has a real chance to be able to make some kind of deep run in march and the reason that i say that is boo boo is the difference maker what what do you need if you're going to be able to kind of sneak your way as like a 10 seed into the second weekend you need a point guard that can absolutely take a game over and i don't know how many guys john are better in ball screens and better attacking drop coverage than boo boo is he had 25 points eight assists tonight nine for 19 from the floor 7 11 from three throwing ty berry and, and there's just I really, really like the makeup of this Northwestern team as someone that can give you a lot of problems in the month of March.
3: Yeah, they 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 can score the ball with the best of them from the guard position. And, like, if you want to watch how to beat – now, you have to have the right personnel. But when I look at some of these top teams, like you look at a Houston, you look at, like, a North Carolina, like with R.J. Davis, uh, even, like, a Connecticut – I think Purdue. Now that I'm seeing how Northwestern is cracking this Purdue code, is going to have problems with these top teams. Now I think they'll get you know deep into it or whatever. But like Northwestern is should be a case study on how to beat arguably the best team in the country. And you mm-hmm. know they stuck to their guns and they almost pulled it out, even with the free throw discrepancy. You know they shot 50 percent from three. Um, these this is a team along. This is a team you don't want to see point blank period you don't want to see them anytime any place in march because they're not going to go down without a fight and and their coach as well man he's a fighter and, and he knows that you know not necessarily his jobs in, in balance but he, he knows that he needs to get them on, on track and you can tell by the fire and the passion he coaches with and so this is a team that i love watching personally but also like i don't think anybody wants to see them early especially like those higher ranked teams because they're a scary, scary team to, you know, come against in the, in the early rounds. Mm-hmm. All right. McCall, I got to go to you first on this one, okay? You know why I got to
1: go okay. to you first on this one. Kentucky played at home tonight. They played in Rupp Arena. Uh, they played against a team that badly needed themselves a win to get themselves back in the NCAA tournament picture. And that was the Florida Gators. 23 points from Walter Clayton Jr. 22 points from Tyree Samuel, who also had 13 rebounds. 21 points, 7 boards, 7 assists from Zion Pullen. The first time in John Calipari's tenure that an opposing team has gone into Rupp Arena had three guys go for 20 points. Florida gets the win, 94-91. This is the ISO time, John. This is where we clear out. This is where we let Matt McCall cook. Talk what you gators, man.
2: Great win for Todd Golden. Everyone everyone wanted to say, can he get the signature win? He hasn't had a signature win since he's been the head coach of Florida. Going into Rupp Arena, that's a signature win, and they got it done. I thought late in the game, Reed Shepard on the pick-and-roll coverage, You know, he was so consumed with the, role, with the role running over there trying to maybe even protect, and it was his protection. You can't leave Walter Clayton. You cannot leave him, and he turned his head for a second, and that's all Walter Clayton needed. Um, and and got a great shot, got it up. I think he made seven threes in the game total. was just outstanding. Going into Rupp Arena is difficult to do. Florida's an NCAA tournament team. Todd Golden's got them playing well. That's a big-time win for them to be able to do that. Goes back to the question, foul up three. I don't know if you saw the clip, but when Dillingham went to the free-throw line, he makes the first one, and Calipari kind of turns to his staff, and he's kind of, you know, questioning – I don't know if he said, do we – and then Dillingham misses. this. The staff's like, no, we're okay. And then Dillingham misses the second one, and those are the situations that you have to prepare for. I think Kentucky's still really good. I think you look at their team last year to this year, they executed such a high clip, way better this year. Uh, They were missing some guys tonight. Obviously, DJ Wagner didn't play in the game, but for Florida to go into Rupp Arena and get that win and perform the way they did, you know, they they – you closing out those games they've been in a lot of those games they closed this one out and that's a great win for todd golden the gators are an NCAA tournament team
1: uh yeah they were um they were one of the teams that was kind of on the right on the bubble when we did fielding the 68 on monday night and i'm sure uh they were the last team in yeah the last team in so they're right there on the cut line um when it comes to teams getting into the ncaa tournament obviously going on the road and picking up a win at kentucky uh is a big deal before we talk about this here is the, the other thing. The- here is the
2: other thing, though, Rob. Here is the other thing: when when you win a game on the road, if you beat a team on the road, and then you turn around and you play them at home. And John knows this. Human nature creeps in. Hey, we're going to be fine. We're, we're, we'll, we'll beat these guys. We we beat them at their place in front of a sold out crowd, and we'll turn around. We'll be fine when we play them at home. That like fighting human nature in terms of that is a challenge, especially for a young team that was down a couple players, you know, for Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Like Florida's, Florida's scrappy. They fight. They're tough. You know, they're one of the best rebounding teams in the SEC. And for Kentucky, hey, we beat them at their place. It was sold out. It was nuts in there. We celebrate. Probably did the Gator Chomp. And, you know, after they beat them. And I know we're not allowed to do horns down. That's a no-no. But, you know, you can do the Gator <laughs> Chomp and nobody gets their feelings hurt or upset. So... Kentucky's going home to play that game. They're like, hey, we already beat these guys. We'll be fine. And Florida took full advantage because that human nature piece, you know, once you beat a team at home or once you beat a team on the road, you turn around, you got them in your building with a young team, you think you're going to be fine.
1: Yep. All right. Before we get before we get into Kentucky here, um, I do want to ask you guys about uh, the fouling of three thing. All right. Here's my pitch. We are not on either of those benches. You're not coaching in Kentucky. Henson, you're not playing for Kentucky. I am not on Kentucky's roster right now. I'm not on their coaching staff. We are observers. We are fans. We are here to experience the wonderful moments that come with the end of college basketball games. And you know what we got tonight? We got Walter Clayton Jr. not getting fouled when he was down three. Throwing a pump fake. Watching Reed Shepard. Go flying by and burying a three to force overtime, which was the highlight and probably the best uh, outside of Chris Collins, the best moment in college basketball (laughs) tonight on a night where we have the number one team in the country playing a thriller, the number two team in the country playing an overtime game, the number 10 team in the country losing at home. That was the best moment of the night. Never foul up three. Never root for someone to foul up three because it takes away those those awesome moments at the end of the game that we remember.
3: Did I convince you, McCall? Are we there? Henson, did I convince you? I get you? it
2: as a fan. I, as a fan, I get it. As a fan.
3: As, as, a, as fan. a fan, I want you to try to win the game, so that's going to piss me off, honestly. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I'm going to be mad. Like, you know, hey, what, what are we doing here? You know what I'm saying? Like, foul them. Like, you want to win, don't you? Like, that would that would irk me. But every coach strategy different. I, I think fouling, just percentage-wise, you know, you got to make a whole nother trip. You know, they could miss. There's a lot of more there's a lot more variation that could happen by fouling. So, you know, I think they should have probably fouled in hindsight. But here's the thing, too, that Calipari, in that
2: situation, right? He's not trying to jinx his shooter. So he doesn't want to tell his team in the moment. Like you got to bring your point guard over and say, Hey, if he misses this fouling. Like he misses this for fouling. You don't want to bring the whole team over. Because your player's going to look at you like, Coach, you don't think I'm going to make this? Like, Dillingham's going to be like, I'm going to make this. So it's like you can't announce it to everyone. you got to somehow echo that message. Hey, if this one doesn't go in, the second one, which is a live ball, we are fouling. We are. It's just – it's kind of this that's, double-edged that's sword.
3: A, that's a good point because Coach Williams was very, very superstitious with the free throws. Like, if, if he wanted to sub you out, he wouldn't even – look down the bench until you shot your second free throw, then he'd grab someone or like you said, if he had something to say or something that could potentially throw you off because he's maybe anticipate, he would, he, he would, he's going to let it go. So that's a good point. Henson, I wouldn't
2: even send the guy to the table until they handed him the second one because I didn't want him thinking, Oh man, I'm coming out of the game. So before I would, I would send him to the table once the referee threw him the ball for the second free throw. Because I didn't want him being messed up. Like, no, you got to make this. Focus on shooting the free throw. Yep,
3: Yep. that's what he was. All right, uh, come in. And then you run over. We we gotta, we
1: gotta get the break. One of the beautiful things about college basketball, we just had number one team in the country go down, and now we're going to the pit, Boise State in New Mexico. When we come back, I gotta ask these guys about Kentucky's defense. The number one team in the country is still the number one team in the country. UConn beats Providence 74 to 65. And I promise we're going to talk about that. I got a lot of thoughts on that game. Uh, before we get into that though, I, I want to just kind of circle back and wrap up this conversation about Kentucky because um, the the defense that we're seeing out of them after a game, after they went on the road, uh, they go to Arkansas and I know Arkansas is kind of messed up right now, but they go to Arkansas and they win a game with their defense where they missed 15 of the first 16 shots. They come home And Florida puts up 94 on them, right? I know it was in overtime, but Florida puts up 94 on them. Um, I'm going to hit you guys with some stats. Uh, There are only two teams in college basketball that have been outside the top 30. I'm sorry, three teams in college basketball that have been outside the top 35 in Kempom adjusted defensive efficiency on the day that the NCAA tournament has started and won the national title. It was Baylor in 2021. That was a weird kind of thing remember they missed three weeks with COVID suspensions and they went from being a great defensive team to looking like they were completely out of shape for three weeks before they figured things out again uh it was duke in 2015 who was terrible defensively in late january and completely figured things out and ended up as like a top 10 defense in the sport after they won the national title sorry to rub that in your face john and then uh in 2009 psycho T's team and we all know psycho t was not about getting stops he was about getting buckets so that one is uh kind of understandable <laughs> kentucky right now i mean 75 efficiency john you are go to
3: defensive expert on this show yeah are you, how worried i are mean you about
1: that
3: go ahead I- i'm really worried because if you think about those teams like think about the Take about the dudes that was on that other end of the court. Like, there were some dudes. Like, you can go T. Hans' mm-hmm. team. I mean, you can go the Duke team, right? Like, even Baylor, like, yeah, they they finished stronger defensively. But, like, I mean, they could smoke you out of the gym if you let them. Defense wouldn't have mattered like Alabama did tonight. Um, yeah, the, the defense needs to get better. And, and they don't have to be a great defensive team, but I, I don't see them – I don't see enough talent to overcome that. Like these, those three teams you named, you know, the the three teams you named were, you know, they had some. I mean, they had lottery picks and top ten guys, and I don't know. I mean, Kentucky has that talent. I guess Shreed Shepherd and um, Dillingham are lottery picks, but they have to figure it out. Communication, um, which is the toughest thing with a young team, even when I was young and even in the NBA, like c- talking and just assignments that shame that that helps everything um mm-hmm. so they've got to figure it out if they want to have a chance um to really win at a high level like tonight i mean they they were i mean up times and games where they, they just got a couple stops we knew what they could do offensively they would have blown this thing open and, and they just couldn't do it and uh you know came back to bite them florida wins in overtime yeah mccall go ahead
2: yeah, I think they had, the, you know, uh, I thought there was two plays late in the game. I thought the blown pick and roll coverage when Florida hits a three to tie it, uh, you know, Reed Shepard just turns his head and, you know, he loses sight of his man. I mean, that's that's essentially a blown pick and roll coverage. You know, the, the other one late in the game when it's a two-point game and, you know, Florida's guard turns it down at the top of the key. That's a blown pick and roll coverage. Like those little things, like you can't blow pick and roll coverages when the game's on the line. Like, you have to be locked in on your assignment. If you're forcing him to his weak hand in the middle of the floor, he's got to go to his weak hand. And the front court player and the guard, they have to be on the same page to force him there. Reed Shepard, you, you can't lose sight of your man. I mean, I know Clayton Ball faked and got the open three, but he, he should have never even gotten that catch with how he was playing. Um, you know, I think their lack of depth in this game really showed, you know, Cal can't hold those guys accountable. I mean, Reed Shepard played 45 minutes. That's a lot of minutes for a freshman guard in an SEC game uh, when they just played on Saturday. So I think that plays a factor. But I think tightening up those those defensive assignments, especially late in games, how are we guarding a middle ball screen? You know, Where's the protection coming from if the ball screen's being set on the side of the floor? Where's the protection coming from if it's in the middle of the floor? Is there a double side? Is it a single side? Things like that. They just have to clean that up. Um, because I do think offensively they're executing. When you watch them, like, he got, like I, I don't know if I've ever, and I scouted against them for a number of years when I was an assistant coach at Florida. Like, I don't think I've ever seen Cal run as many sets as he does. They're executing, and the ball's being flown up the floor, and they're sharing the ball. They just have to tighten up their defense. And I think it's just a few blown pick-and-roll coverages that they've got to get corrected. Know where the protection is coming from in ball screens, whether it's in the middle of the floor on the wing.
1: Yeah, well, the majority of the the lineup that played the majority of the minutes tonight, freshman Reed Shepard. Uh, freshman Ungana Agneso and freshman Reed Dillingham were all on the floor. There's a reason why people say the best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores, so uh, yeah, I think that has a part to play in that conversation as well. Let's move. UConn, top dogs, number one team in the country. Uh, they host Providence, who came off of that big Ed Cooley reunion game. I don't know if reunion is the right word, but uh, what we kind of expected was one of the most emotional games you were going to see for providence and turn around and go on the road to the number one team in the country and played pretty damn tough man it's kind of frustrating to think what this providence team could have been if bryce Hopkins didn't get hurt they are a lot of fun there's a lot of talent there are a lot of dogs on that roster uh henson uconn didn't really have clinging for most of the game he finished with seven points three boards and four fouls he kind of got worked a little bit by josh Aduro um what do you make of UConn what do you make of
3: this performance what do you make of this sport? first of all Josh Duro's nice so you know no mm-hmm. no no discredit to him dog he's he's cold I, like I I, <laughs> I watch him play I'm like all right he's got game but um UConn is is trucking along they're getting better as the season goes on and the Providence is not a by any means, a, 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 a slouch win. I don't care who they have. They play hard. You know they they've got Carter kind of running the ship, and and they feed off his energy, his defensive presence, he, the way he attacks. Um, and UConn just mowed him down today. You know it, it was going to be a tough game. I didn't think it was going to be a blowout, and they won by nine points. And you know it it, it was a little closer than than what the score indicates, but. UConn looks like the team to beat right now and they're only getting better. They're, they're, they're getting healthier. You know, they only had seven assists on twenty two shots today, which, you know, is kind of unusual. But this is a team that, you know, they're primed and ready. So I think over the next, what, ten games now, we'll see, you know, them continue to play well. And it's gonna be fun to see in the tournament if they can repeat because they're they're right up there, you know, with my guy, McCall's Gators, to have a chance to do it.
1: Yeah, th- I think that it's something where uh, that's <laughs> to me, that seems like it's, it's, it's. Going to be one of the more interesting storylines as we head mm-hmm. into uh, March. I think this is the team that's had the best chance to uh, – We're on this show, from now on, we're just going to call it pulling them a call because, you know, they had Joaquin Noah. They had Al Horford. They had Corey Brewer. They had Billy Donovan. They had like six or seven pros on the team. But we all Don't know – Don't forget real, Green reason. Lee Humphrey.
2: Don't forget Green, Green
1: Lee Humphrey. Don't they had Chris dudes Bridges. up and down that lineup. Don't forget lineup. those dudes. Okay. So, but the reason why okay. that team you're, you're went back-to-back,
2: back, like, Matt was on that bench.
1: <laughs> Matt McCall is on that bench. That's why they – listen, Matt, I just on on UConn before, I, I do want to ask you guys one quick question about Devin Carter. But um, are you – so the thing that really stood out to me tonight was that I thought Kim did a fantastic job game planning for UConn, like what he did defensively. He basically uh, face-guarded um, Tristan Newton and Cam Spencer and switched everything and dared Steph Castle to beat him. And Steph Castle did. He finished with 20 points. He had two big threes to kind of give him a little bit of a cushion. Uh, he had an 11, like scored 11 in a 13 to two run that UConn had in the second half that turned it from like uh, a Providence four-point lead to UConn being up by eight. Um, I, I feel like we learned something about Steph tonight.
2: Yeah, man, look, I mean, uh, uh, this team is for real. What, what, what Coach Hurley is doing, especially with everything that he lost, last year um to have them playing at the level that they are um i think the biggest thing for uconn just going into the tournament as we go into february if you look at the run i know they lost to kansas and they lost to seton hall they haven't faced a ton of adversity and just mm-hmm. from my own experience in you know, a part of that that florida staff when we went back to back even the second year there was a lot of adversity. There was a loss at Tennessee. There was a loss at Vanderbilt. Like there were some losses built in there, where we had to grow and kind of get hardened as a team. Um, that UConn really hasn't hit that this year. So I, I think when you do hit that, and you never want to lose games, but you can, you can grow and and become even closer as a unit. Um, but give Kim English in this game too credit. I mean, that was so emotional on Saturday. I know you guys were there. We were covering it in the studio. I mean, it was complete pandemonium to be able to turn around coming out of that and go on the road and have your team ready to play. That's impressive. You know, and Josh Aduro, he had his fourth foul with like 13 minutes to go in the game. So, you know, to think about that, if, if he wasn't in foul trouble, the game could have been even closer, but, look, this team is for real. They could go back to back. Um, I just think, you know, going through some level of adversity and they're going to be in close games. Like, it's not a shock that this is a close game today. I mean, they're going to get every single team's best shot. They're the defending national champions. So they're going to be in these tight games and finding ways to win is the biggest key.
1: Yep. Henson, is Devin Carter an NBA player? Like, do you see him being able to find a role there?
3: It's so funny, man. When I watched, when I was watching the uh, Georgetown game. I was literally googling this draft stock because he's he he he's a pro. I mean, he's a pro. He's got size. He's got tenacity. He's got the NBA bloodline. I mean, he's a pro. And I was looking. He looks like he's going to be like a mid, maybe late first guy, which is where I see him, you know, at. But yeah, he's a pro through and through. Wing, wing guards that can play can the i give wing, you a comp i got a, I got a comp yeah.
1: uh, and i am loath to yeah. give goodman credit but th- th- i think yeah. this is a really good comparison that could came up with bruce brown
3: yeah. bruce brown is bruce brown is is a perfect comp for him but i i would think he he's different in a sense like he brings a little more defensively than bruce brown which could help him even more at the next level so i love that comp
1: Mm -hmm. All right, listen, we have a lot more to get to. It was a loaded uh, Wednesday night slate in the world of college basketball. We got to talk about Alabama. We got to talk about Auburn and what in the world is going on down in Memphis, Tennessee. (laughs) Big news, guys. I am thrilled to announce that we have partnered with Autograph, a company founded by the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to the best college hoops content fan contests and exclusive rewards like discounted tickets all for doing the things that diehard fans like you already do following your favorite team in the news and listening to podcasts just like this one when tom and yes i am calling him tom we're on a first name basis these days co-founded autograph he had one mission in mind change the fan experience for the better it works like this. You get all of your College Hoops content you want in one place. You get articles from your favorite writers, pods from your favorite hosts, contests from your favorite creators, all on the feeds and the sites that you already enjoy. But instead of having to go to all these different places, it all comes to you in one spot, the Autograph fandom Map. But here's the best part. The more content that you consume, the higher you rank in the app. As you consider the level up in status on the app, You can unlock unique rewards curated exclusively for you. So download the free autograph app in the App Store and use the referral code F68, that's F68, or tap in at the link in the description below or in the podcast app of your choosing to start earning points for doing something as normal as listening
3: to this very podcast. It really is that simple.
1: welcome back to the field of 68 after dark we are live Wednesday night Sirius XM channel 84 and we are over streaming on stadium my name is Rob Doster that is coach Matt McCall that is John Henson uh, our defensive analyst here on the field of 68 I'm giving you that <laughs> monitor John you are you are a defensive take expert it. I'll, um, take it. I'll take all it all right we gotta we gotta we gotta head down to the great state of Alabama we got to talk about the Crimson tide um contrary to popular opinion uh, I don't give a piss about nothing but the tie, and they came back from down at the half 58 points in the second half. They lit them up. McCall talked to me about this team, Mark Sears. How come no one's talking about him? We talk about Dalton Connect, we talk about Antonio Reeves, we talk about Wade Taylor. Your boy, Mark Sears, having just as good a season down there.
2: Oh, yeah, you, you heard me use the term you know, that team has been hardened, right? They've been callous, they've been through things. The non-league schedule that NATO's put together for this Alabama team has is the reason why this team is performing it the way they are. They went through some stuff. They went through adversity. They lost games. They lost several games in the non-league. And everyone's going, what's wrong with Alabama? There's nothing wrong with Alabama. Going through that has helped them. That's why they're the cream of the crop of the SEC. I think when you look at the SEC, I think there's three or four ty- teams that are at the top and they're definitely in that category it is impressive it's impressive what they're doing and credit Nate Oates I mean that non-league schedule there's not a lot of coaches in the country that would play that non-league schedule and he put it together and he said it to us last week one week ago today when they knocked off Auburn at home he said it, it it's prepared his team it's the reason that they're playing the way they are so uh, kudos to him and and that team's for real and they could win this league they could win an SEC championship no question about it and Nobody wants to see that team in the tournament.
1: Henson, um, we we need to riot. Are you with me? We need to we need to we need to head down to the SEC headquarters. We need to bring our pitchforks and we need to go down there because I have a, a huge issue with something that's happening right now in the SEC. We are only going to get one game between Kentucky and Alabama in the SEC regular season. That is that, that is uncalled for, that is unfair. If those two teams played, What do you think that total will be? You know, let's start there. What do you think total is going to be 175? 175. (laughs) It'll be NBA numbers between those two teams. Neither of them want to play defense. All of them, both of them just want to score, and they both go like this. It would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, How are you? When I look at Alabama, I look at them pretty much the same way that I look at Kentucky. I think Kentucky's got a little bit of a higher ceiling offensively because of how explosive the guys are. I think Alabama's got a little bit of a higher floor on the defensive end. Uh, But to me, they are basically the same team. Uh, They have Final Four talent. I just imagine one night the shots are going to go down and they're going to get picked off.
3: Yeah, I mean... If you, I watched that game fully. I might have had something on Alabama today, so I watched that game pretty heavily. Um, but <laughs> um, they, they walked them down, man. They walked them down. I thought it was over, honestly. Georgia looked really good, but the talent just overtook the game. And, and just credit to Alabama, like you said, that schedule has hardened them. Great points you made. They lost three in a row earlier in the season to at the time, three top 10 teams. And they look really good. I mean, I was shook that they came back in a in fashion. Not only came back, like they took care. I mean, they outscored about 23 points in the second half. Um, the first half looked like it was going to be all Georgia. So they're going to be a team to be with. I mean, I think they probably could win the conference. I only say that because they seem like they're the most consistent team. And I think consistency is going to get you – a conference championship this year because we don't know what we're going to see from a, I mean, I was saying on Twitter the other day, I don't know what team I'm going to see in college basketball from media timeout to media timeout. Like, that's how much of a variance some of these teams have been this year. So Alabama's getting it together slowly, but surely in those early season trials and tribulations are, are definitely paying off, like uh, Coach McCall said, and that Kentucky-Alabama game is going to that's going to be a barn burner, man. That's going to be one to see. That's going to be fun.
1: All right. I, I need both of you guys to weigh in on this, okay? Um, Alabama is 7-1 and one in the SEC. Auburn, who won by – I don't even know what the final was. They were up by 30 the last time I checked over Vanderbilt, is 6-2 and two in the conference. Tennessee is 5-2 and two in the conference. They lost at home last night to South Carolina. Kentucky, Mississippi, Florida, they're all sitting there at 5-3. and three. Does South Carolina have a real chance to get this thing done? Like Matt, I know that um, – I mean, Lamont is, uh, did he, he follows you at Chattanooga, right? Chattanooga, yeah. Yep.
2: Yep. Yeah, no, that, he followed yeah, me at Chattanooga
1: he, for sure. Yeah. One, that Duke and coaches nuts off. Two, going on the road and winning in Knoxville is not something that is easy for anybody to
2: do. Nobody wins there, right? I mean, you brought up our back to back national championship teams. We, we went over in there with those teams, like it's hard to win in Thompson Bowling Arena. Like it doesn't happen. Um, the job that Lamont is doing is is spectacular. When, when he took the job with everything that he did and the time that he spent at Chattanooga and how good that team was that went to the tournament with David Jean Baptiste and the shot that he made, you know, you're like, oh man, is that the right job for coach Paris? Should he go to South Carolina? They haven't had a ton of success. Frank Martin was there. They went to the Final Four, but it's been a while since they had success. It's like, oh, you know, can, can Lamont get it done there? No, he can get it done there because the guy can flat out coach basketball. Bottom line, he's taken the right transfers in the portal. You know, B.J. Mackey, he's gone into the Southern Conference and taking guys. I mean, you look at it. I mean, a lot of the guys that he's taken in the portal, he coached against. He knows, and he knows are the right fit for his system. So they're for real. Are they in the same category as, as Alabama and Auburn? I, I think Alabama and Auburn are in a, on a different category in terms of the SEC. I think South Carolina right there. But I think Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, even though South Carolina went in there and knocked them off. I mean, Tennessee scheduled the, the games that they won in the non-league. I mean, Tennessee, Dalton Connect. I mean, they're really good. But South Carolina is right there. I mean, It is impressive what Lamont is doing. I had them in a game early in the season. I I had them against Grand Canyon, and I've been on the field of 68, and I've said Grand Canyon is my Cinderella this year. I think Grand Canyon can make a run in the tournament. Tyron Grant Foster is one of the greatest stories in all of college basketball, and I sat there and watched South Carolina take it to Grand Canyon. I mean, this team is for real, and credit Lamont and what he's doing. And, I mean, it's a – someone said earlier, I was on – uh serious xm this morning south carolina's a basketball school i mean wins women's basketball men's basketball <laughs> it's rolling right now and it's exciting and credit him for for what he's doing Man, it's it's fun to watch
1: yeah dawn staley is uh i will always be a fan of uh of dawn <sighs> staley she is awesome she talks her shit and and my favorite thing is when she wears um like she wears jerseys on the sideline uh for for to support uh Sport the birds. Like that is it, I just it cracks me up every single time where she's got like the number one team in the country for women's basketball. But she's like, Yeah, but you know what? It's always go birds too. All right. Get it straight. So um Henson, just the, the top of the 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 SEC. The the one interesting thing there that that uh McCall said uh was you like Auburn and Alabama the most. Um, I, I know they just lost at home, but I can't shake the fact that Tennessee is as good as they are defensively and they got a dude that's averaging 28 and a half points in SEC play.
3: Yeah, Tennessee is going to be there in the end. They've got Connect, who's, I mean, could go – I mean, I'm not exaggerating. like could go off for of 40 at any given point. Um, so they're going to have that – they're going to have a higher ceiling than these teams, to be honest. I think, you know, especially from an offensive standpoint – but you got to win man right now you look at the SEC 6 and 2 has got you at second and 4 and 4 has got you in like eighth so like this could change drastically in the next 2 weeks uh I do like Tennessee at the top but Alabama and Auburn Auburn still doesn't have a quad one win so I mean do we do we you know how good is Auburn we really aren't going to know probably until the tournament time SEC tournament probably in the NCAA tournament but this SEC is going to come down the stretch. I mean, if you look at how jumbled it is, I mean, this could be like a, a league where the last game could, you know, you could win it all. You know what I'm saying? So um, Tennessee is definitely my pick for the, t- you know, maybe the best team, highest ceiling, but you can't forget about South Carolina. Their record is, right now, teams that have certain records, we have to believe them, right? 18 and three, six and two, tie for second. We have to believe that. That's not a fluke. That's not an anomaly. So, um, I love what they're doing. And, 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 you know, what the coach of South Carolina said kind of struck me. I was reading about him today. He said, look, these guys, they want to get to the tournament. They are hungry to play in this tournament. And that's how they're playing.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, McCall. I want to, I want to dip down over to the American real quick. Uh, I'm going to, we're talking about conference standings here. FAU seven and one in the league tied for first place with Charlotte in South Florida. I don't know who had that at the start of the season, North Texas, cool sitting there Shout second my best guys record.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah there you go uh amir Abdurrahim. he's a uh, yes, unbelievable sir. job unbelievable job. It. um north texas five and two umb uh uab five and two new additions to the conference doing well smu is in sixth place in the american sitting at four and three you know who yet john barton's memphis tigers they're seventh place in the league. They're 15-6 and six overall. They're Can someone check on him, please? Conference. He's not doing well. I listened to his spaces earlier. It's, he's in a bad place. We thought about bringing <laughs> him on, and we decided that we're going to wait until tomorrow Can to somebody, do it. Yeah, we, we got to just check on that tonight. guy right now. I'm a little bit concerned about him. Can't do concerned. it tonight. They've lost four in a row uh, at home to, to South Florida at Tulane, at UAB, and tonight at home against Rice. They were all close losses, and, and for the most part, three of them were one-possession losses, and the UAB game was a close game that ended up at nine. But what is going on with Memphis? Javon Quinley was benched tonight. I, I don't – do you have any – sense? like, I, I just – it feels like this thing has gone
2: off the rails and gone sideways. Well, I think you, you bring up a good point, Rob. When you lose a close game, I think it can snowball – to losing the next close game to losing the next mm-hmm. close game and then all of a sudden it creeps into your mind can we win a close game like are, are, like this is coming down the stretch I, I doesn't make a lot of sense. I think they have a lot of talent um, but w- once you get in those battles and you lose a couple, it can become this snowball effect and mm-hmm. the mental factor plays a part of can we really win a close game? And I think that they're dealing with a little bit of that right now. And they, they just, they need an off week. That's what they need. They need an off week. They, they, they need to figure some things out. They got to get back to practice. They need to go in the locker room and get things off their chest and talk it out. And they need an off week. That's the biggest thing that Memphis needs right now, in my opinion, is, you know, some time off to practice, some time off to have some heart-to-heart, uh, you know, hard conversations in the locker room. To get back to playing at the level that they're capable of, that we we saw, we've seen, we know how good they are, we know how talented they are, but they're not playing up to that right now. And you know, I don't know when their off week's coming, but they need that.
1: Yeah, they play Saturday at home against Wichita State. They're at Temple next week. They get Tulane at home. They're at. They don't have. They don't have an off week, McCall, until the last week uh, of the regular season, heading into a road I, game
3: at FAU. I, I'm going to simplify it. I've been there. I've lost games. They've let go of the rope, plain and simple. They've let go of the rope. It, it, it's, some, teams you, some teams you've been on, that's what happens. Some teams get stronger. They have faltered. I think it also has to do with Naquan Tomlin coming in and getting 20 minutes. Like, there's stuff that's going on there that th- there's something internally going on that that's making them play like they're playing, and we don't know what it is. But they have effectively let go of the rope, and it, I think it's only going to get worse from here.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's not a good spot. They got to find a way to turn this thing around. And I will give Penny credit uh, when he had Amani Bates. He found a way to turn that thing around after they lost four in a row and it looked really bad. And he got it, an eight seed that year when it was J- Robin, I, you know I've looked. Grind, I,
3: I go ahead, John. You grind all summer with these guys. You grind and you and you grow and you and you grow together. And then you know you have a player come in like Tomlin doesn't do anything and gets playing time. That affects a team's psyche. I don't care what you say. So it's some stuff going on for sure.
1: Yeah. I will say this. I am I am on the penny bandwagon as a coach. I think that he has done a terrific job in the, the five seasons that he has been there. I don't think he gets enough credit for being able to figure things out and, and kind of change what he wants to do and how he wants to play. Uh, this year has gone sideways. I think that he can still find a way to figure it out. And if they win both of those games against FAU with what they've had, uh, the Michigan neutral, Arkansas neutral, at VCU, at Texas A&M, Clemson at home, Virginia at home, SMU at home, they've done enough right now to keep themselves in the mix if they can win the two games against FAU. But that, at this point, is a big if. I don't know if they could take another bad loss. Listen, we got to get to a break. On the other side, we have a lot more that we have to get to in the world of college basketball. Baylor on the road, beat UCF. It's a lot of fun games. What's going on, guys? Before we get back to the show, I need to let you all know about the Field of 68 Daily, an all-encompassing college basketball newsletter that arrives in your inbox, you guessed it, daily. For less than a dollar a week, you'll wake up every morning to more than 1,500 words detailing everything that you need to know to stay up to date on the world of college basketball. From the notable mid-major upsets, to the stars that are out injured, to the breakout performances that only our team of college basketball junkies Watched. The Daily is edited and produced by Mike Miller, who spent more than two decades running NBC's digital written content and is subscribed by more than half of the Division I coaching staffs, the biggest names in college basketball media, and the agents that work as power brokers in the sport. For just $50 for the year, you get access to the same information that the insiders get. And before we get you back to your regularly scheduled Field of 68 content, let me tell you guys about the Field of 68 merch store. Head over to fieldof68.shop for officially branded Field of 68 apparel. Whether you're supporting your favorite team in the student section or from the couch, there is no better way to gear up than the latest, from the field of 68. The best thing I can say about our merch is the quality of the product. Anyone that has ever worn a t-shirt knows how frustrating it is when the neck gets all stretched out and the bottom of the shirt starts looking like the bottom of bell-bottom jeans. And there's nothing worse than a hoodie that loses its snugness that makes it such a perfect way to stay warm during the cold winter weather. Whether you're shopping for yourself or for the college basketball fan in your life, everything you need is at thefieldof68.shop. welcome back to the wednesday evening edition of the field of 68 after dark guys we have covered a lot of ground tonight if you are just tuning in right now scroll back man we talked about a thrilling purdue overtime win one of the greatest ejections you're ever going to see at the hands of chris collins uh matt mccall's Eaters going into Rupp and getting an overtime win. I convinced both of these guys to be on the don't foul up three bandwagon. And number one, UConn survived against Providence. We did got into the SEC. We talked some Big 12 stuff. It's been a fun night. Um, Memphis right now is probably going to be right there on the bubble when we do fielding the 68 on Friday. They were a nine seed heading into today. There were a couple of other bubble teams that were in action tonight. But before we get into that, Baylor on the road at UCF. One game that kind of had to win ugly, guys. And I think that's been one of the concerns about Baylor this season is you gotta find a way to they gotta win games ugly sometimes. And I don't know if people necessarily trust them to be able to win games ugly. The entire conversation in the Big Twelve can Kansas find a way to come back? Is Houston real? Are we forgetting about Baylor McCall?
2: Yeah, you know, Scott Drew was you know, coming out of their last game was was pretty critical of his team just in terms of, you know, we want to win a close game. We want to win a close game. You know, they lose to Kansas State by two possessions. They lose at Texas by one possession. They lose to TCU in overtime by one possession. Um, this triple was big to be, to, to, to be able to triple overtime. To be able to go on the road and, and win this game, they needed it. Um, I, I, I think they're still really good. Like I talked about earlier, sometimes when you lose close games, it can steamroll and it can snowball into can we really win a close game um so for them to get this one i I still think they're one of the better teams in the league they've got one of the best coaches in the league you know that that game on saturday versus iowa state i mean that's that's going to be a huge one because iowa state's playing great basketball um so yeah i think this was big this was kind of a one of those all right we're back on track after the, the three losses that we've had and you know, to go on the road and UCF's played well at home. I mean, give them credit for their first year in the league. Nobody, I'm, I'm, I can guarantee you that coach Dawkins was on Jeff Goodman's hot seat. Guaranteed. Don't know for sure, but I guarantee he Goodman put him on there. And and UCF is playing well, especially playing well at home.
1: Yeah. Look, you mentioned, uh, Baylor and Iowa state playing on Saturday. Here's the wildest thing about that. And I got to do a promo for what we're doing on Saturday. Um, tennessee is playing at kentucky top 10 matchup Houston is playing at kansas top 10 matchup duke is playing at north carolina we know who henson's going to be rooting for there another top 10 matchup i am going to be in lexington goodman is going to be in lawrence tyler Hansbrough is going to be in chapel hill and we are going to have all three of us plus uh, john martin if he sobers up from this devastation of a memphis loss we'll be hosting the show uh first Weekend without college football, we have four top ten matchups in total. It's going to be unbelievable. Iowa State's playing Baylor, number eighteen against number twelve, and that's not even like a top five game of the day on Saturday. It's going to be unbelievable. I can't wait. Tune in Saturday, and I, I think it's going to be one of the cooler things that we have done here on this show. Sorry for that, Henson. Go
3: ahead. You got any thoughts on Baylor? Um, I, I, you know, McCall kind of hit it on the head with them, but. I mean, call me crazy, but I think <laughs> right by the end of the Big 12 season, these teams will be burnt out. I mean. Nah, I agree. Think about, I totally agree. think about, Think about <laughs> totally the schedule. Like, like, they are going to be mentally fried. Like, Baylor lost three in a row. They got to go to UCF. I mean, they had to fight and claw back. Lance Love gets 24 off the bench. They go 7-0 run. They were only – UCF was only down 94 seconds of this game. Now you got to go to Iowa State. I mean, I feel like there's going to be a lot of big 12 teams going down in the first weekend. It, it's just – it's such a mental grind. Mm-hmm. They got Iowa State, then they got Texas Tech, then Kansas, then Oklahoma. Like, oh, by the way, then we got to go to West Virginia. Then it'd be like – and then Houston. Then TCU. Then they got Kansas. I like, agree. Like, <laughs> I'm they're in I trouble. Agree. They I are kidding, beating, they're beating gonna, each other they're gonna, up. They are beating to sputter other out. I am they're with John. Sputter, the Big 12 team are going to sputter out at the end of the year. So, you know, <laughs> they – I mean, if you look at their schedule, if they didn't get this win, this could have got ugly. I mean, they could have lost five or six, seven in a row. So, it's – um. I feel bad for the Big 12. ACC, you know, talk, talk all you want, but look. Every once in a while, we get to throw a Notre Dame in there. You know, what I'm saying Boston College in there once in a while. Like there is no, <laughs> there is no, there is no Boston College or Notre Dame. I mean, Louisville. Throw Baylor Louisville has to finish that. the last ten games with like what? Top. Yeah, Louisville. <laughs> yeah. Get, a Louis, get a nice little Louisville run. Like Baylor has to play top <laughs> two, like ten top thirty teams for the next two weeks. They might lose in the first no. game in the NCAA tournament. Henson's panic, panic meter 12. is yeah. on the Big 12. His panic yeah,
2: meter I, is yeah. on the Big 12, man. The I, Big 12 is beating like, each other up, so his panic meter is yeah, on they're the Big gonna,
3: 12. Yeah, the end of the season, like that Big 12 championship tournament is going to be like a gladiator, like the movie Gladiator. Like That's what that tournament is going to be. And then whoever gets out, uh, whoever makes it out on the top, <laughs> whatever, like whatever, whatever
2: comes through that door. We, yeah, you
3: whatever comes through that door. Whoever comes emerges from the mountain of that Big 12, God bless them, but they don't—they will not get far. I promise.
1: <laughs> All right. So, uh, Dagan, our producer, has some stuff on the rundown, and he's not going to like me for this, but I'm calling an audible ge- gentleman. I'm taking a left turn. I'm pivoting. Pivot. pivot, Hot, route. pivot. Hot
2: route. Hot, Hot route. route. Hot route. Hot route. route.
1: Uh, McCall, we got to talk about Richmond, man. We got to talk about the Spiders. 16-5 on the season. They go on the road to Fordham, which has turned into one of the better atmospheres in the Atlantic 10. Uh, 8-0 in the league. They win. Jordan King goes off 29 points, 8-10 from the floor, 4-4 from three. They shot 59% as a team. They shot 57% from three as a team, uh, and they did it against one of the better defensive teams in the conference. Just this – did you did you see this coming? For I know you know the league. Did you see this coming from Richmond?
2: No, I didn't because I think, you know, Chris Mooney's done an unbelievable job just evaluating talent and taking the right transfers. I mean, that's what he does. Nobody saw this coming from Jordan King. He's playing like one of the best guards in the Atlantic 10. He may be the best guard in the Atlantic 10. You know, we talk about Deron Holmes from Dayton as the best player in the Atlantic 10. This guy's got to be in the category. And you're talking about a guy that came from the Southern Conference at ETSU, wasn't on anyone's radar. I'm sure he was highly recruited, but Mooney speaks to his character. He talks about the first conversation he ever had with him. Uh, He knew he was the right fit, and he is flourishing in Mooney's system. Here's the other thing, and this is why I have such great respect for Coach Mooney, is he's adjusted how he's playing. He's running more ball screens. He still has his Princeton offense in there, but he's not just this coach that said, this is the only way we're going to do things. We're only going to run the Princeton. No, he's adjusted to his personnel. And it's paying dividends. I mean, they put on a defensive clinic against Dayton. I mean, Dayton scored 15 points in the first half on Saturday. 15. And Dayton's a good offensive team. Anthony Grant's doing an unbelievable job. Richmond's for real. They're finally healthy. They weren't healthy in the non-league. They're finally clicking. And Jordan King, is he is that dude. I mean, you watch him play. He makes tough shots. He takes tough shots. He is that guy. And think about this. Right, uh, Neil Quinn. Starting center leads them in
3: assists.
1: Yep. All right. Listen, Henson, you got 10 seconds. Give me a toast of the night in college basketball tonight.
3: This may like, not seem like much, but Pittsburgh, by winning the night, kind of staved off being in the dungeon of the ACC. High-level win, mm-hmm. beating a good way for his team. Cheers to them. Toast Cheers. of the night. McCall, I, I know where your toast is going. Go ahead.
2: Give me the Spiders. Give me the Spiders. Take a Richmond. Give me the Spiders. All right. Then I
1: will take your Florida Gators chomp, chomp, chomp. Walter Clayton, game winning three. Listen, this is in the field of 68 after dark for John Henson. For Matt McCall, for our producer, Dave. My name is Rob Doster. We'll see you on Last Call.